The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Day of the year was probably Christmas. But my second favorite day of the year was 4th of July. Growing up in St. Louis, they had this great festival called the VP Fair, the Veiled Prophet Fair. I have no idea why it's called the VP Fair, but every 4th of July for four days, there was this terrific celebration in downtown St. Louis. They would bring in bands like the Beach Boys or Willie Nelson or whoever it might be, and there'd be tons of people there listening to this. They'd also have family shows. They'd bring in the Blue Angels. They'd fly over the river. It was amazing. I even remember there was a plane called the Harrier that would come and hover around the arch over the water, and it would hover, and the the water would spray to the side. There was great food. There was awesome games. Our, our, Our family enjoyed this so much that we actually would get hotel rooms downtown during this festival so we could go and come as we pleased and enjoy it. And then, of course, there was the grand finale at the end of the night. Something needed for every 4th of July celebration, fireworks. And I still remember laying in the grass next to my brothers and sisters and seeing the rocket go up into the air and guessing, that one's going to be big. That one's going to be small. It's going to be brown. It's going to be blue. But I remember from a very young age understanding that this 4th of July thing is a very, very big deal. And it's such a big deal because it celebrates our nation's declaration of independence. I'm guessing for many of you, you have many traditions that surround this celebration of our declaration of independence, which happened over 200 years ago. July 4, 1776, you may remember from elementary school, those famous lines, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I didn't realize this, but as I was reading over this document, the Declaration of Independence, it goes on to list out all the grievances that they have against the King of England. And it says this, which I a very concise statement. It says, he has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the work of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages, and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation." And then they went on to declare their independence and the members of the Continental Congress signed their names. Today, we are going to celebrate Israel's Independence Day. Israel had been in bondage to Egypt for hundreds of years. Their inalienable rights had been taken away from them. Their freedom was taken away. They were in slavery and bondage. They were abused and mistreated. But then comes the day of their independence, the day of Passover. And that's the day that we get to look at today. If you would please open up to Exodus chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 1 through 30. If you are in the Red Bible, it is page 
53. If you are in the children's Bible, it's page 104. Israel had been suffering, as I said, for hundreds of years. They cry out to the Lord for deliverance. The Lord remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefather. He hears their cry. He knows what they're going through. And so he sends Moses to Pharaoh. And he sends Moses to Pharaoh saying, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Well, Pharaoh questions, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And so the Lord sends plagues upon Egypt, declaring who he is, that the Lord God is creator and sustainer and vivifier. He gives people life. And then in the 10th and final plague, in the prophecy of it, as we discussed last week, the Lord proclaims that he is the God of justice, the God of mercy, and the God of grace upon grace upon grace. Today, we're going to look at the preparations and the traditions that surround the Independence Day of Israel and this 10th and final plague. And so let's read together 12, 1 through verse 30. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for, for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintels of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. Verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, the person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done in those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. 
And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day, I brought your house out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he is a sojourner or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling place. You shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintels and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentils and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this ritual, this rite, as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Let's pray. Lord, bless our reading and our understanding and the teaching of your word. May we understand the Passover for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as a person who was born and raised in America, I don't know much about other nations' Independence Days. Maybe I celebrate Cinco de Mayo at lunchtime, but beyond that, I don't know much about the Independence Day of other nations because it really doesn't seem to have much of an effect on me. Today, as we look at this, I want to make a case for why we should care about Israel's Independence Day, why Israel's Independence Day is our Independence Day, and why we too should celebrate the Passover. And so we want to look at this by looking at the Passover meal, the Passover Passover, and the Passover memorial. First, let's look at the Passover meal. As we read through the institution of the Passover, you may have noticed that there are many, many, many different stipulations towards this Passover meal. And there are different reasons for these different stipulations. But one of the major reasons for all of these stipulations 
is to communicate urgency and haste. For example, there was a command to roast the lamb, not to boil it, right? Not to take time to go fetch water, bring it up to a boil, butcher the animal up, stick them in the pot, cook it and eat it. Just roast it with its head and its leg, roast it. This is a, a, a stipulation of haste. It goes on to say that you must eat it with unleavened bread over and over and over again. It says, eat it with unleavened bread. The Passover feast was the beginning of a week-long feast of unleavened bread. And the reason for the unleavened bread was because it was quicker to cook. I don't ever cook bread. I've never cooked bread, but evidently you put leaven into bread and then you stick it out for it to rise. Is this true? Is that how it works? Okay, all right. And it takes time. It takes time to rise. But if you don't put the leaven in, you can cook it right away and it is ready to go. And so they were told to make it without leaven for the purpose of being very quick because it was urgent. We even see haste in how they were supposed to dress for this meal. In verse 11, it says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so the question I had is, what's the hurry? What is the urgency? Why does God want the people to eat of this meal with such haste? Well, the reason is because death was literally coming to their doorstep. That death was coming and the Lord wanted to make sure that they were prepared. That they may not experience death, but instead experience deliverance. You know, the Israelites had an advantage that we don't have today. The Israelites knew when death was coming. They knew when death was coming to their doorstep. We don't have that luxury. And so do you know what will happen when you die? One of my great pleasures as a pastor is get to hear people's stories. And one gentleman who sits amongst us today shared a story of a time in his life where he was in a deep lull, where he just wanted to end it all. And he had committed at 7 p.m., I'm going to end it all. But then he was struck with this one question. Where will I be at 7.05? It's a great question to ask. Where will I be five minutes after I die? None of us knows the day or the hour of our death. We have had loved ones, co-workers that were healthy one Christmas and gone the next. We've had loved ones who were healthy one month and gone the next. Even happy one minute and gone the next. None of us knows the hour of our death. Life is so fragile. It could be gone at any minute. And the question is, do you know where you will be five minutes after death visits you? So death came to visit Israel. And they were told, be prepared. Be prepared for death to come. Be ready to go. That death might pass over you. Now, how might death pass over them? How might death pass over us? Well, the instructions are in this passage, and it has everything to do with the lamb. On the 10th day of the new year, the dad was to go out and get an unblemished lamb 
less than a year old. It was supposed to be flawless and beautiful, representing the purity of God and the beauty of God and what God requires of man. And then the family was to keep that lamb for four days, enough to draw an identity with the lamb. And then we read in verse 6 what they're supposed to do after four days of having that lamb. On the 14th day, it says, When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall then kill their lamb at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentils of the house in which they eat it. If you have heard this story before, you may have grown accustomed to the imagery, but this would have been a gruesome, bloody mess. The fathers, all these fathers of all of Israel would take the lamps outside and slit their throats and blood would go everywhere. I'm sorry to be so graphic, but that's how graphic it was. And they would take that blood, the lifeblood of the lamb, and he'd wipe it on the doorposts. Why would God command such a gruesome task to celebrate Independence Day? Well, we continue. Verse 12, the Lord says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you or on your behalf on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Moses is communicating this command to the elders of Israel later. And in verse 22, later part, he says, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentils and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. It will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You know, it's interesting as you look at the previous nine plagues. In many of those plagues, Israel was exempt from them. And they hadn't had to do anything to be exempt from it. For example, when the Lord sent flies into the houses, the land of Goshen, which is where Israel dwelt, was exempt. And they didn't do anything to gain their exemption. It was simply, they were exempt. When the Lord sent hail, the same thing. It it covered all the land except the land of Goshen where Israel dwelt, and they did nothing to gain that exemption. And when the Lord sent a severe plague on the livestock, it says, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And so he makes this distinction. He spares them and they don't have to do anything to be granted an exemption. But here we come to the 10th plague, the final plague. And Israel is called to action. Israel is called to do something. They're called to take the flawless lamb, to sacrifice it, to wipe its lifeblood over their door, around their door, protecting their house, and to huddle inside until morning. And the reason they had to do this is because in the 10th and final plague, God was not coming to judge Egypt. God was coming to judge sin, wherever it would be found. God was coming to judge sin. And we know that the people of Israel were just as guilty of idolatry and sin as the Egyptians. 
And as we studied last week, the wages of sin is death. Therefore, just like the Egyptians, the Israelites were under the same just sentence of death. And so the only way that the just judgment of God would pass over the Israelites is if the penalty for sin, which is death, would be transferred to another. If it was transferred to a lamb. You know, it's interesting if you fast forward to verse 26, they're talking about celebrating this festival, this Passover in the wilderness and in the promised land. And Moses says this, he says, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You know, why the blood? Why, why are you killing a goat? Why are you spreading his blood on his doorposts? It seems so gruesome and bizarre. Why are you doing all this? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Could you imagine being at a Passover meal and the blood is smeared on the door and the lamb with its head and its legs is roasted and it's sitting on the table. And the child says, Dad, why do we do this? What is the purpose of this bizarre celebration? And as the children look at that dead carcass on their table, the father says, the lamb died, so you didn't have to. You see, throughout all of the land of Egypt, in every single house, someone was dead. And it was either a person or a lamb. The child must have looked at that lamb and said, thank you, little lamb. (laughs) That would be I, but for the grace of God. The sacrifice of the Passover lamb demonstrates what theologians call penal substitutionary atonement. It is a big phrase, but also a wonderful and glorious phrase. Penal substitutionary atonement. Penal means legally punishable. They were guilty of sin. They were deserving of punishment. Substitutionary, a person or thing acting or serving in place of another. The lamb stood in place of the people. An atonement, satisfaction or compensation for a wrong. The payment for sin is death, and the lamb took that payment upon himself. We see this idea of a sacrificial substitute for sin throughout the Old Testament from the very beginning. If you remember Adam and Eve sin against God and he is pushing them out of the Garden of Eden. And before he pushes them out, he stops them, sacrifices an animal, clothes them in its skin to cover up their shame through the bloody sacrifice of an animal. Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel, come to the Lord. To bring a sacrifice, Cain brings vegetables, and this displeases the Lord. But Abel brought the firstborn of his his flock, and the Lord preferred Abel's offering because it was a substitutionary sacrifice of blood. As you continue forward, you see Abraham was to enact God's justice upon his son Isaac by sacrificing him on the altar. And yet when his hand was raised with a dagger, the Lord provided a substitute, a ram caught in the bushes, and it was sacrificed in the place of Isaac. If we go beyond Exodus and we look into the priestly system, we see that there is a well-articulated formula for sacrificing animals as a substitute for the sin of the people. 
God's justice was about to sweep into Egypt. And his justice required death. And the only way to avoid God's justice was if another would satisfy it on your behalf. In his grace, God provided what God required. He provided flawless lambs that death might pass over all who were huddled inside under the blood of the lamb. And so we've seen the Passover meal, a meal of haste and urgency because death is coming. But also the Passover Passover in which God passovers the house of Egypt because of the blood of the flawless lamb. Finally, we see the Passover memorial. You know, this Passover is such a big deal to God that he says, we are going to reorganize your calendar. We're going to make this the start of your year. And on the 10th of this month, that's when you're going to go pick out this lamb. And the 14th is when you're going to sacrifice it. As it moves on, God talks about how this is such an important memorial that it's to be repeated continuously. In verse 14, the Lord says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Verse 17 says very much the same thing. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. And then verse 24, again, as if he's trying to make a point, the Lord says, you shall observe this right as a statute for your house and your sons forever. And so this was a feast that was to continually take place for the rest of all eternity. And the question is, why was the Passover such a big deal? Why did God want them to celebrate it forever? Well, one reason was to remind them of their salvation and remind them of their deliverance from Egypt. But the other reason was to point the Old Testament saints forward to a greater Passover, to a greater lamb that was coming. You know, in Luke 22, which is in the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples are gathered together, and we read that there came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sends his disciples away to go prepare a place for them to celebrate the Passover meal. And as they sit down amongst the table, there is one major problem. There is one element of this supper that is missing. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but when they sit down to that final Passover meal, to the Lord's Supper There's no lamb. There's no lamb on the table. It was the key ingredient, and it was missing. And yet Jesus still took bread, and he broke it. And do you remember what Jesus said? Well, do you remember what Jesus was supposed to say? Jesus was supposed to say, we do this in remembrance of the Lord's Passover when he struck down the Egyptians but spared us. That's what Jesus was supposed to say. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said was absolutely revolutionary. Jesus said, this is my blood, not the blood of the lamb. This is my blood, which is given for you. Do this, not in remembrance of the Exodus, but do this in remembrance of me. You see that that night, the Passover lamb was not on the table, but the Passover lamb was at the table. 
Luke 22 goes on, and Jesus is praying to the Father and says, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The cup that Jesus desired for God to remove was the cup of his justice, the cup of his wrath. But there was no other way. As Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know, the book of Hebrews goes on and it tells us very very clearly that an animal cannot atone for the sins of a person, that an animal cannot pay back God for the sins of a person. That's why they sacrifice animal after animal after animal after animal, because it could never fully atone for the sins of a person. But you see, when the Passover blood was spread on the doorpost, it was to point the people forward to the greater Passover lamb. Do you remember when Jesus appeared on the scene, began his ministry, and he is approaching John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover Lamb who takes away our sins that death might pass over us. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is our penal substitutionary atonement. We are all guilty of sin. But Jesus, the flawless Lamb of God, substituted himself on our behalf. He took on our guilt, our sin, and bore our punishment. He was slaughtered at twilight on our behalf, satisfying the divine and just wrath of God in order that the penalty of death might forever be passed over for those who look to the blood. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You know, I read earlier about how in in Exodus chapter 12, the passage we read through, that on three different occasions, the Lord says, You shall celebrate this Passover meal forever. Forever, don't. Don't stop. Keep going. For the rest of eternity, celebrate this Passover meal. And we asked a question at community group this week, why don't, why don't we celebrate it anymore? And the answer is, we do. <laughs> Every week. It's right there. <laughs> you know, Passover was for the old covenant, and it looked back to the Exodus. But the Lord's Supper is a new Passover for the new covenant, and it looks to the cross. The Lord's Supper is a feast to remind us to make sure we never forget that the only way that we could possibly be saved is through the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And as we look at this table, as we hold the elements in our hands, we must remember, this should be me. I should be torn apart because of my sin. My blood should be spilt because of this lamb, because of my sin. But the lamb took my place. A.H. Strong, and not commenting on the Lord's Supper, but I thought it was very applicable, said this. As we look to the Lord's table, God requires satisfaction for his justice because he is holy. And he makes satisfaction through his lamb because he is love. That's what we remember when we come to the Lord's table. Let me end with this. There's a story of a time when there was the war between Britain and France. And men were drafted into the French army. 
by a lottery system. And when someone's name was drawn, the authorities would show up at their door and say, guess what, you've been picked. It's time for you to go to battle, to go to war. Well, on one occasion, the authorities showed up at a certain man's door and told him that he had been chosen. And he refused to go saying, I was shot and died two years ago. Well, at first they questioned his sanity. What do you mean you you died two years ago? You're standing right here. You're talking, you're living, you're breathing. How could it be? And he went on to explain that two years ago, his number was picked. He was drawn in the lottery to go off to battle. And he was a man that had many little kids and a wife. and, And so his friend came to him and said, listen, I will go in your name. I will go in your address. I will go in your place because I'm single. I don't have a bunch of people depending on me. And so I will go for you. Well, that man went off to war and he died in war. And that's exactly what the record had shown. This was an unusual case. And so the authorities referred it to Napoleon, who decided that the country had no legal claim on that man, that he was free from that lottery because he had died in the person of another. You know, the principle of substitution is at the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was willing to take our place, not because he had anything less to lose than we did, but because of his infinite love. And he took on our sin and died in our place and paid the penalty for our sin. And now the law, which calls for our just punishment, has no claim on us. For we died over 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. His finished work is the basis of our salvation. We depend on him as our substitute. One final point. When Moses came to the elders and told them about the sacrificial lamb and the passing of judgment through death that was coming and the liberation, the day of independence that was coming, we read that the people bowed their head and worshiped. The people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Death will visit us all. None of us get out of this place alive. And we don't know when it's going to be. It could be in eight minutes. It could be in 80 years. And the question is, do you know where you will be five minutes after you die? Are you ready? Have you made preparations? Have you placed yourself under the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ? Have you wiped it on the door of your heart? Have you trusted him as a substitute for your sin? Have you claimed his blood as an atonement for your life? There is good news. We don't need to look to our own moral record. What God requires, God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ, who is our substitute, who is our atonement, who is our Passover lamb. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Passover. The Passover that happened 3,400 years ago and the Passover that happened 2,000 years ago through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that none of us could stand against your justice. All of us 
has sinned and fallen short of your standards. And so, God, we look to the blood of the Lamb for our righteousness, for our atonement. Lord, I pray if there are those here today that do not know you, that they would look to the blood for the first time, that they would no longer look to themselves and their moral collateral, but that they would look to the blood of the Lamb as their reason for acceptance before a holy God. And Lord, I pray for those here today who maybe are overwhelmed by the sin in their lives. They know you, but they are just crushed and burdened by their guilt. Let them look to the Lamb and know that they have been covered in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, as we take these elements, we pray that they would not just be bread and juice to us, God, but you would set them apart in our hearts and in our lives, that as we hold them, as we touch them, as we look at them, we would remember, Lord, that this should be us, but that you substituted yourself on our behalf as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.